Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. This podcast will seek to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of my podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations where every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to you joining me on this journey toward a better understanding of each other. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening for common ground first. I am so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's see what my next guest has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and I'm here with Sarah Hodgson of Sarah Says Pets. Sarah is a trainer up here in Northern Westchester and a dear friend for many years. Um, today, we're going to talk about some recommendations Sarah has for training your pet. Um, training is like English as a second language, so she's going to explain that to us. And how to regulate situations with your pet through food and fun so that you're not negatively impacting your pet, but actually positively impacting your pet when situations arise. So Sarah, thank you so much for coming to Why Do Pets Matter? Hey, Deborah, it is so great to be here. You are always uh, someone I enjoy hearing and seeing. I'm so glad. So we start with our first question, and I know this is your life. So why do pets matter to you? Um, I really view pets as having uh, God in your home, having uh, a sense of well-being in terms of their unconditional acceptance, their joy at, at everyday interactions, and whatever you perceive God to be, but that safe place, it really creates a safe place for you, your children, your friends to visit. I have to say that is probably the most succinct way I've heard yet from any of my guests to put forward why pets matter to them. They really are that well-being place that sits inside of you that you actually feed, I think, by having pets. Yeah, they, they talk to our core. They, they just do. And they ask so little of us. They really do. I, you know, and they're always there for us. So it really is not a very equal relationship. I, I would tend to agree. And poor animals have to stay at home while we go out adventuring. So it's important that when we are home with them, that we do give them that sense of adventure and that sense of, um, uh, you know, exploration. And we interact with them in ways that make them feel safe. Absolutely. You know, it, it's been said that pets don't know how long you leave because they give you the same greeting when you put out the garbage in the morning as when you come home from work. <laughs> they don't really have that time thing. But you really, as a pet owner, and I, I know you probably agree with this, need to recognize that if you have a pet, you need to provide for their, um, their good health and their well-being, both mental and physical. Absolutely. The bottom line is safety. They want, we all deserve the right to feel safe. We all deserve um, to feel happy and have our needs met. And really, dog training is not rocket science. It's teaching animals English as a second language so we can better help them when they feel deregulated. When, if you come into my home and you have, so you know you come in, my dogs are happy. I don't make them sit and stay on a mat and I don't speak to them like I'm some kind of drill sergeant. I just teach them, get your toy. So then instead of jumping at you, 
they'll grab a toy and they'll run around for a minute and, and in delight that you're in our presence. And then they come right down and they chew a bone or whatever. You know, that is so important. It's called, I think, when I went to a class, redirecting. They used to have us bring, they, yeah, they used to have us bring um, little, those coiled. Uh, yep, pigs, uh, bully sticks. Right. Yep. So the dog would have something they love when exactly. you wanted them to sit quietly. Like now, when I'm trying to record you, I give them something so they sit quietly. It may keep them for a half hour, but it may not. So if we get disturbed, right. everyone, it's because they've raised their we love wet noses. We love wet noses. It's all we good. Do. We love wet noses. So you have been one of the top people in uh, animal training and behavior for many, many years. Tell us a little bit about your history and how you've come to create this new group, which is Sarah Says Pets. But you started, I mean, you were in the Huffington Post. You wrote for years. You had another training facility. And now I think we've both become more holistic. So tell me a little bit about the transition from A to B. Um, well, it's funny you should say that because my my passions in life have have always been writing. I just released the fourth edition. I did all four of Puppies for Dummies. I've written Modern Dog Parenting. I've written about 12 books. I love to blog. Um, animals. I've always had animals. I've always loved animals. Um, people and children. I've always enjoyed interacting with people. And really, all I am is a lifestyle coach for people with pets now and i help people really empathize and understand their animals experience so they can better modify their home to serve their pets needs and you know from from being in the animal industry that and and even going to zoos with your own family and your children um that animals need an enriching lifestyle to feel fulfilled and when they feel fulfilled, they feel happy, and then that is reciprocated in their bond and attachment to you. We have done so many great studies to find that animals, all types of animals, wild and domesticated, definitely feel things, think things, respond to things in a certain way, and you know, in the old days, we used to just, as you said, sit, stay, don't move, go over in the corner, whatever. Uh, that was the old way of training. And now we've realized that actually uh, it becomes more a part of their skill set more easily if, in fact, they're trained in a more loving and giving way. Like you said, English is a second language. So you're trying to have them do what you'd like them to do. Maybe sitting, staying when someone comes to the house is way beyond their skill set. Exactly. Uh, but, Especially young dog. Oh yeah, especially puppies. I'm I'm actually going to have a litter of puppies uh, very soon, so I will have a young dog, and you and I will be great friends as I try to train. I think my 25th Irish Setter, which um, when I went to training classes many years ago and walked in with an Irish Setter, uh, they all laughed at me like, "What are you trying to do? These dogs can never be trained." Oh. And of course, I always felt well. You just don't understand that Irish Setters are the Jerry Maguires of the world. Right. Show me money. You know, right. there's got to be something in it for me. I'm not going to do it because you're going to break my spirit or whatever. You have to really sort of what you do. You spend the time um, having them recognize what they can do to cooperate. And a lot of it is just assigning words to daily routines so that the dog knows where to go and what to do when. You give them a toy basket in the main rooms. You say, go get your toy. 
go get your bone. If they're chewing on a table leg, you don't scream at them for the table leg because then they think you want it. They think prize envy. The table leg must be great because mom is barking at me to stay away. You tell them, no, get your toy. You direct them to a mat so they know where to go and what to do. You direct them outside or to papers and you assign words to these activities walking them through it much as you would a, a two to three-year-old child. And it gives and them the opportunity. Now shows. Go ahead. Right. It, it gives them the opportunity to succeed. Exactly. And science now shows that animals emote and reason and learn in ways incredibly similar to a young toddler age child and have the capacity to learn 10 to 100 words in a very short period of time before they're even three months old. So the more you articulate kitchen, mommy, Lindsay, daddy, outside, inside, upstairs, downstairs, the more they'll learn to prioritize your voice. Which I always tell people, dogs are not innately focused on sound in order to direct behavior. They more focus on posture. So when you're training them, you're really training them to listen above watch. And the more you do it, and the more you reinforce them positively for doing it, the more they will socially reference you as they bond, mature, and age in your home. And they'll create, I loved it when we talked a little bit earlier, um, when they're regulated in a situation, you use food and fun because it really does create that positive interaction instead of the old days when it was negative interaction, don't do this, it's rather, no, do this instead. Exactly. I was I was walking in town just an hour ago um, with one of my dogs. His name is Tally Ho. He's just a big teddy bear of a dog. And we're sitting there and a woman comes up with some sort of device and a shock collar, an orange shock collar. And this little puppy couldn't have been more than five months old. And I watched every time this dog looked away from her, he shocked him. She walked, that dog was like skittering back and forth on the leash, tail down, ears down. And I said, I noticed you're using a shock collar. Are you a trainer? Yes. And I'm like, well, do you know that your dog's um, giving you stress signals? And she's like, well, he was a feral dog. This is very good for him. And I said, well, could my dog say hello to you? Because my dog was wanting to say hello to him. And, you know, wagging his tail and, and, and very sensitive to the fact that this dog was stressed. No, he's, he's being trained to walk on a leash. And I'm like, the poor dog. I mean, he doesn't have a chime and chance. A couple other people commented on what a torturous thing it was to watch. And she left. But that's not dog training. Somebody's paying to have their dog basically emotionally destroyed. And it's interesting because you and I have had long conversations about this. Um, you can train the dog beautifully, but it's training the people who the dog lives with to be able to train the dog that's key. Uh, totally. And that, you know, that's where people say, well, what makes you different from other trainers? And, and I'm like, I don't really know, but I really get along well with people. I love people. I love figuring out the way they learn. Do they learn better by listening or writing or watching? I have a YouTube channel with like over a hundred videos on, and we're posting these ones now called Today's Tips. They're one minute long. They target a specific issue. And, you know, it's great for that Instagram. How do I teach my dog to give kisses instead of nips? It'll come up. There you go. You've watched it. It's not rocket science. 
You know, you put a little butter on your hand, you say kisses, the dog learns to kiss, you hide a treat in your fist, you don't open that fist until your dog kisses it, and then the dog learns, oh, kissing gets you to pet me, kissing gets you to release a treat that I want, kissing gets you, and I mean, it takes an afternoon, not a lifetime. Yeah, it, it takes, you know, and sometimes maybe with Irish setters, it might take two afternoons, but it right. does, you know, but then they never forget. I mean, Irish right. setters never forget. Um, right. And long-haired dachshunds as well, which are my other breed. It's interesting you said that because, you know, when people do have conversations um, about different styles of training, it does so behoove someone um, to share their information to those who hopefully will listen and for those who are training differently, maybe listening, um, not because you're being criticized, but because you might learn something new. So this trainer with the shock collar um, might have really benefited by saying, well, what would you do? Right, but dog trainers in general? No, 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 no. Many dog trainers, I was gonna say something else, but I wanna point this out. Many dog trainers are not people people. And they get very defensive, even in a friendly dialogue outside of work. Not all, not all dog trainers. I'm friends with many, and personally, you, you know, and I both, right? They'd have different opinions, and that's fine. Um, and and I was simply pointing out how terrified this dog was, and growingly more so. She kept it at way. I watched the whole time. I was fascinated, but in a, in a very frantic, you know way but i watched her carry this dog beyond threshold it was out for 10 minutes and it was intolerant but in that instance i would have brought it out sat on a bench tucked it under me not not had it you know skittering back and forth i would have had a can of dog food just feeding it so it associates i get really with eating really good food right when can we go to town so i can have you know some some uh chopped liver but she didn't do that. So what could I do? And it's interesting. So my listeners come from every form and fashion. They're pet owners, they're breeders, they're um, in the pet service industry. And so for you and I, we've, we've talked about this often. It's, it's about recognizing um, there are differences in training, but what would serve your pet better? How do you read the signs of your pet in a way that you know, like you just said, he was way beyond his training um, threshold. He was, his brain had shut down and, or her brain. Totally shut, shut down. down. Yeah. And, you know, and on, my, on my website, I have um, two. Why don't you tell us what the website is again? The website is sarahsayspets.com. Sarah with an H says, it's the feminine version of Simon Says, about time. Sarah says pets. Dot com. I have dogs in the nav bar. I have cats. And um, I have a few bars of note, but one is free downloads. And the first free download is learning doglish with scout. And then under cats, it's learning catlish with sage. And it shows that the posture is and what they mean. So it, it's like an emotional, they're like 16 emotions and what your dog's ears, tails, eyes, posture will look like. It's very similar to humans. When dogs are excited, they get big and they jump up. When they're scared, everything lowers. And the lower it goes, the lower the tail goes, the lower the body goes, the more the dog really is, is wants to disappear, wants to remove itself. And the leash, unfortunately, is, in my opinion, one of the worst inventions 
you know, of modern time. It's, it's a necessary evil, but you wouldn't want to be leashed around and dragged against your will, hither and yon. No, no free sentient being would ever want to be tethered. And yet we have to tether many of our dogs and even some cats if we want to let them experience the sights and smells and sounds of the outdoor environment. And outside our home, our fenced in yard, right. And and so and there are a lot of laws in most states where you have to have your dogs leashed, but how do you provide that leash opportunity without it being detrimental? Well, I mean it's a good point you bring up because before the animals lose their deciduous teeth, their baby teeth, they have a heightened oppositional reflex. And that oppositional reflex, if I pull, you pull away. Frantic. Because they it might, might be part grabbed. of that fight or flight, right? It, it's all fight or flight. It's very uh, instinctive. You know, if they grab, get grabbed by another animal, they'll just go into a tizzy. People start leash training much too young. You really shouldn't start structured leash training until your dog is at least six months. And until that time, there should be, you should just follow your puppy on a leash or take them to a field. I am developing um, uh, freedom lines. They're just simply long lines that that you can hold loosely and follow your dog around. And again, you'll be able to find those on my website. But at six months, you start introducing what I call walkabouts, using food and fun, but first doing those early walkabouts in your house where there are no distractions, where the dog feels safe. You wanna remember your home is the den. You wanna make that a very safe, routine, predictable environment, and then gradually bring that out. So lifelong, you have a dog that sees the leash and gets excited. Leash means food and fun, doesn't mean I'm feeling trapped and like I'm gonna be obliterated at any second or I'm, I'm on a leash and I'm being asphyxiated. So tell me a little bit about some dogs, because I happen to have one who's not food oriented. So that would be tr um, plaything, uh, well, food is treat or chew thing oriented, right? Um, yeah, and I had a little dog. So most dogs have a threshold, for example, <clears throat> my, funnily enough, my big golden, and we always rescue, but this was a gift, and he's, again, a teddy bear, I'm very golden, like he has no interest in food, unless I cut up some grizzle, and then he's interested in food. So most dogs will have a threshold or a treat or some kind of meat that they will, like a can of dog food can sometimes encourage other dogs have a toy or a certain squeak, and there's so many different noises. And then I had one dog, like you said, it was so shut down, it was a little rescue. The only thing that would excite this dog is when I did my happy voice, which I'll do for you now. It embarrassed my children. They could, they turned red every time I did it. Who's the boys? Who's the baby? Who's my puppy? Who's the boys? He got so excited. So when I would go into town where he felt threatened because he hadn't been around cars, I would have to do that voice like over and over. My kids just refused to go. But yeah. eventually he got conditioned to, oh, mommy's happy. I feel happy. It's all good. And then eventually he would eat because some dogs who are even food motivated, when they're in panic mode, won't eat. 
won't buy, can't access. And for those dogs, you have to figure out their red zone. How far away from this distraction that you're so deregulated by do I need to be for you to access your, your happy self, your, your trusting parts? And then you have to figure out, well, okay, as we get closer, if I up the value or I make myself into a silly clown or I play with a silly toy, at what level, what's the magic distance? What's the magic um, you know, reward that you need to feel safe and trusting? And then you ebb it that slowly. And that's a lot of the work I do with rescue dogs and shelter dogs who have experienced trauma. It's much like um, the the work they do with people, with helping them learning yep, to regulate. Right. Yep. Right. That's all about the right and left brain not being able to have a functional communication. They're yep. fine until they get triggered and then they shut off from their rational self and become fight or flight self. And it's like, okay, how do we get those two parts to to like calm down and communicate? So it's not so much training as reading reading yeah. what you're doing well, that's listen, triggering yeah. the dog and re- and reading what's triggering the dog and how you can um enable them to find as you said you know their happy place right right and how um you can teach them to trust you that you know you'll protect them. I always say, always put yourself between a dog and a distraction. Whether the distraction is frightening your dog or exciting your dog, if you're behind your dog, they're never going to reference you socially for a clue. You know, they're never going to look to you what to do if you're always just holding them tight on a leash. Absolutely. It's it's interesting that you used your happy voice because I not only have a happy voice with my dogs, but I have individual songs for each of my dogs. And when oh, I there sing- you go. When I sing them, that dog goes, oh, she's talking about me. Oh, she's talking about me. And when when they're little babies, you know, um, their ears open right away, their eyes not so much. And I whistle all the time. And no matter how old that dog is, when I see them wherever I am around the country, because my dogs, I sell around the country to friends and colleagues. uh, If I whistle, those dogs come running to me. Oh, and the oh, owner say, imprinting. It's imprinting. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, I said, I always say, because I am so, um, what's the word I'm looking for that isn't too deprecating? I just, you know, I always say, well, I must have beaten them enough so that they, which is right. bad because that's the language I use, but I, I, I really in, might in, ingest. Ingest, yes, because, because all I do is I sit in the whelping box and when, you, you know, when they have those pin teeth, um, your toes are fair game. Yeah. You have to wear really thick socks um, or some rubber shoe that they cannot right. get through because otherwise you'll be in pain. But my whistle, it is it is imprinted on every single puppy who leaves here and every single... It, it, so what we're, what we're trying to do, you and I together in our practices, um, but you more so, is help people have the best... Um, relationship with their pets because pets do matter. Why do they matter? Because you want to know how to have that best relationship with your pet. And whether you buy it from a breeder or you get it from rescue, um, you need to know and understand the way in which to communicate. And sometimes puppies are clean slates, sometimes not. I mean, clearly mine are not clean slates. If I whistle, they're going to leave you and run for me. So that's not a clean slate, but it's cleaner, you know, than the dog you you had from rescue who had, you know, a, a life that we don't necessarily know. And that doesn't make them unadoptable. 
it really just makes you um, have to engage more. Right. And now I'm working with um, people and, and many different kinds of pets. I'm working with cats. They just did a study. I have a blog coming out is, will bondable cats become the new dog? Because they've now shown the cats bond just as tightly to their owners with the underlying caveat when they feel safe. And if someone knows how to treat a cat, if someone knows how to create an enriching environment, if someone plays with their cat, if someone leash trains their cat, if someone teaches their cat's words, like English as a second language, then they can have the same strong bond with their cat as they would from a dog. I'm also a fan of rabbits and reptiles. And again, if you know how to create an enriching, safe environment, you can have a pet, no matter what the species, that feels happy and safe regulated and then you you all you do is condition touch and proximity to to food enrichment and fun and you can you know I had a hedgehog that ended up going to live um, with uh, my agent she's an animal agent because he was being called up so much because when that little animal came to us at eight weeks we had him in the train to New York City we had him in town in, in a pup, in a baby sling. So he just heard it all. He felt it all. I would have my hand under his belly in that baby sling. He never pricked. You could pick him up. Why? Because I knew what the animal, what was at the core of that animal, where the fear comes from, where the lack of imprinting creates this vacuum with which the animal can't live without. And it's the same thing I do with a puppy or cat. I carry them around. I do my Vitamix or my, my you know. Vacuum cleaner or whatever, right? Yep. I take them to the tailor. And because they're coveted in, they're right next to my heart. And they're protected from the elements. And then just like you said, at that early time, they imprint the touch equals safety. Touch is good. Human yep. heart feels safe to me. Yep. That, and then again, that, it doesn't that, really matter what the animal is. Right. right. That touch, that smell, that sound is right. safe. <clears throat> right. And most people don't um, understand that. And that's why I'm so glad um, you're creating Sarah Says Pets, because it really is where people can go to learn how to be their best selves so they can have the best pet for their life. Oh, I'm going to write that down, Deborah. Thank you. Well, I'll send you this video, oh, yeah. this podcast, and, and you, yes. yeah, I'm going to put the link on the bottom of the podcast as well, so people can find you. But uh, we're, I, I, I know we're going to get together again because there's so much we can talk about because we want to talk about seeing beings and we want to talk about pets as property. But those will have to be on separate podcasts going forward. I wanted to be able to just talk to you about what we believe, which is that pets are trainable, but maybe it's more training the human than training the pet because the pet's just going to absorb the information you're sending it. it exactly. And, and the real goal when I talk to trainers that are out there using different methods, my real goal is, is to help people understand that if I can make this less stressful for you, then you can make it less stressful for your dog. And then it's not hard at all. It's right. not rocket science. It's not rocket science. But my my mantra is listen, your pet's on the roller coaster. 
you need to stay on the park bench. They're trying to figure out where to go when they're hungry, where to go when they need to go to the bathroom, where, how to interact with you. They don't know. But if, I, if you can stay on the park bench and you can stay calm, then you can provide an environment where they always feel safe. And right. they'll always come back to you. Yeah, you always ground them. You always ground them in, this is always where I go to feel safe. Right. And, and people call it love. And it is. Safety, to me, is love. Absolutely. Yeah. Love and, and respect for each other because respect to them is great too. So I want to remind everyone um, that Sarah has, um, Sarah says pets.com, her website. But the, the two things that I wrote down that were really important to me um, was don't leash train your dog till they're about six months old. You can have them walk around your house, I think, with a leash on sort of in a safety. Absolutely. Net. And you can put them on a leash and follow them around. Just don't try to restrict and leash train them at too young an age. They'll right. learn that leash means I'm trapped and unsafe. And then it leads to leash reactivity, which is one of the number one behavior problems in America today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I have that. So I'm going to have to come to you soon and have you break my young dog of that. Um, and the second thing was, put yourself between your dog and the distraction. Don't expect your dog to stop looking at the distraction if you're pulling on the leash, tugging on them rather. Put yourself between the dog and the distraction. And I do that by calling my dog or whistling and telling them what a good boy or good girl they are. Um, because I can't always get to the end of the leash, but I can always have them come back to me and get exactly. a or whatever. So that I am... Um, getting between the distraction and my dog by calling my dog back to the ground, the grounding right. piece of me. You're their beacon. Yeah. Their beacon of reassurance. Well, let's hope. So thank you so much, Sarah. I am oh, so awesome. happy that awesome. we've had this time to talk. We're going to do this again. Um, right. And this has been Deborah Hamilton, Why Do Pets Matter? with Sarah Hodgson of Sarah Says Pets. Please join us next week for our next episode of Why Do Pets Matter? Yeah, can I say one last thing? Do we have Absolutely. one minute? Absolutely. Um, in this time of coronavirus, I want everybody to remember if they need help, they can find it online. There is, my blog is there, my books are there, other trainers are out there. I have a, a digital service where I do digital training around the world online. I just did someone in Iran and the Netherlands last week. So there is help if you need it. Find That's it. Right. It's just learning. That's all you have to do is just it's learn. Just, it's just going out and asking for help. Exactly. And I love to help. Yep. And we that's, that's why we're such good buds because we love to help. And, and really, we'll offer it even if you don't want it like you did at the park bench. Um, right. But if you want it, you'll take it. And if you don't, we don't like say terrible things we just say okay good luck and then we you know tuck that dog in our prayers and hope that he figures it out yeah. or yeah. that his owners figure it out right. Sarah thank you so much and You're we'll welcome, see you Sarah. next week you've been listening to the podcast why do pets matter this is Deborah Hamilton do you have a great idea or guest or topic that you'd like me to cover Write me at hamiltonlawandmediation.com or email me at whydopetsmatterpodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, our pets do matter. Thank you for being here with me.